a brand new episode of the Happy Productive Podcast is about to begin. It's time to be inspired by simple and actionable solutions for you and your business. If you're an established entrepreneur or just laying down the first brick of your future empire, the mantra is the same. We will flip any failure into a positive and use it to our advantage. This show is all about turning coal into diamonds. With the right plan and mindset, anything is possible. I'm Jennifer John, your host, business coach, and founder of Best Planner Ever. And I'm here to help you achieve all your ambitious goals. Success is closer than you think. Let's do this. Hey, hey, everybody. Welcome to a new episode of the Happy Productive Podcast. I am so excited to announce my guest today, Miss Amy Reeves. She's the founder and CEO of Job Coach Amy, where she leverages her 25 years of experience as an executive and hiring manager to help professionals at all levels of their careers find and keep jobs that make them happy. Welcome, Amy, to the show today. Thank you so much, Jennifer. I'm thrilled to be here. So tell us just a little bit, you know, it's one thing to read a bio, but just tell us, give us a little bit of background information on how did you get from, you know, where you started to where you are today in doing this work? Sure. So um, let me tell you a little bit about, I'm going to come back to where I started originally, because uh, that's much more closely linked to what I'm doing now than where I've been for the last 30 years. But I will tell you, I got a, uh, I started out on Wall Street in a bank training program and I went to business school and I was a management consultant uh, for many years globally. I did a lot of international work, did a, mostly strategy work, a lot of business process redesign and uh, really fell in love with the idea that, you know, I came in and did work that big division owners and CEOs and CFOs and COOs, you know, didn't really quite have the time to do. So it was a real privilege to go in and say, talk to people and say, if I had the time to do this work, I would figure out this problem or look at this opportunity in depth. So that was really fun. I got to know a lot of different industries, a lot of different executives and find out what really worked for them, what didn't. And of course, a huge amount of that is people, not just technology or operations, but really how the people that run them. So I, I learned a lot about what makes people tick what makes jobs tick, um, what's good about them, what's, you know, what makes someone good in a job, what makes someone not in a good job on a really detailed level and a lot about what happens in, um, in companies that have different industries and markets. And I was single mom for a while. I struggled. I had all, all sorts of issues like most people do in their career. And I stepped around a, a lot of different places because I just liked steep learning curves. And after I um, had been on the road for a very long time, I took a job with, a, I actually started a small company, sold it, went to work for our main client, stayed there for 10 years, had a baby, got divorced, and then tried to figure out how to get a job where I wasn't a consultant because I couldn't travel all the time, but I did find a job running a consulting firm. So I've been and also been an executive and a nonprofit executive. At any rate, um, I remarried. My husband said, what is it you really want to do? And I knew exactly what I wanted because, and again, I'll go back to the start. When I was getting out of college, I had a terrible, terrible time because I wanted this Wall Street training program. And I thought I did everything right. I had a good GPA from a good school. I had a really nice skirt suit. I thought I was on top of my game and I could barely get an interview. All my friends went marching off to these jobs and I got a job at, out of the Wall Street Journal out of the, the New York Times classifieds. Ask your parents if you don't know what those are. I liked it, but I spent the entire year learning about these Wall Street programs, learning what you did in them, learning what the banks really did, learning how you were measured. And the next year, I got the first job that I applied to. And I loved it and I was good at it. So 
I was still stunned. Like, what's the difference from the year before? And the, the basic answer was, I just didn't know how to interview. I didn't know anything about those banks. I didn't know anything about those programs. And nobody had ever told me. So mm-hmm. throughout my career, I had always been the person when someone came into the office and said, like, oh, my God, my neighbor's kid wants to get into this business. Or, you know, my nephew wants to get in. I have no idea what to tell him. I was always say, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it. My first love was always counseling people in their career. I always believed in managing people, which was not a very valued skill, frankly, either on consulting or in corporate life. It was just stuff that I really loved doing. So I put together what was I thought was the most basic common sense methodology about recruiting and job searching and and management, frankly. And I thought that that was what I could do with just kids getting out of school. And it turns out I I actually work with people in transition all levels and up to the C-suite because that common sense doesn't exist everywhere. And there's also people, people who have been extremely successful in their career have never had to look for a job before, but maybe they get to be, you know, almost to the CEO level and there's one or two people and they're not the one person. So they're like, now what do I do? So, mm-hmm. so I, I really like working with people at all levels and that's what I'm doing now. And it's been a lot of fun. I did, I just recently published a book called College to Career Explained, Tools, mm-hmm. Skills and Confidence for Your Job Search. So I wrote my first book about my first love, but I do do consulting um, and all courses and all sorts of things for all levels. So that's me and that's what I do. And it's, it's really fun. It's definitely, it almost feels like a calling. I, I really do love it. And all the things that have happened to me through my career and, and everything's happened to me. I mean, I've been in positions where I was the golden child promoted above other people. I've been fired. I've been, I've been through it all and it never seemed to be leading anywhere, but turns out it was because I've had all these experiences that I can share with clients and it's, it feels really great. So I'm in a very happy position of my career that I, I never knew that this crooked path was actually leading me somewhere, but turns out it was. Isn't that something how all of our crooked paths, they tend to just like lead us where we need to go and that you found this work that you absolutely love doing. And just to, just to clarify for those listening. So, and, and for my own clarification as well. So you're not or maybe you are, you're not, I don't think, a placement agency. You're actually coaching um, people who want right. to find a different job or transition into a different job. So that's really where you're at is, is coaching them and how to interview, what those skills are, and how to actually land like the job of their dreams. Exactly. And one of the reasons why I don't identify with a company per se, I do actually do corporate work in a different vein. Mm -hmm. But when I work with individuals, what I start with is not, what do you think you can get? I mean, we do talk about transferable skills. We talk about what gives them satisfaction in the day. We talk about, obviously, what they want their compensation and their lifestyle to be like. But we start with, what do you want? You know, what is it that makes you happy? What is it that gives you satisfaction at the end of the day? But there's a reason for that. And it's a reason that is directly linked to your success in interviewing and your success in your career. And one of the tenets of what I do is of what I preach in term that's been successful for all the clients I've worked with is the job always goes to the person who wants it the most. Mm. And you cannot divorce the idea that you can make it, it inauthentic when you're saying you want the job, it has to come from a place where you really want it. And that has to be the place where you start. 
all of my methodology, tool sets, skills, skills, teaching, et cetera, boils down into three things. I was a consultant for a long time, so everything's in three bullet points, right? But it's it's that you, you need to do three things at any stage of the job search process. You need to prove that you understand what the job is because we're going to be looking for you to know what you're getting into because we don't want somebody to take the job and be like, oh my God, this isn't what I thought it was. I'm out of here. The second is that you can do the job based on your skill set because by the same token, we don't want somebody coming in and saying, you know, uh, I can't do R. I I have no idea what R is. Why did you hire me? And the third thing is that you want the job because the people who want it the most are going to be the people that work the hardest to do a good job. So everything starts from a candidate's perspective and frankly, from an employer's perspective with who's the person that wants it the most. Because in my experience, when I needed to hire somebody, it was, the, it was always the case that, you know, we'd bring in six candidates the first time and four candidates the second time, two candidates the third time. And I'd bring in my team and I'd say, okay, well, you guys, what do you think? Who should we hire? And they'd go, they're both kind of the same, but this person wants it more. And we'd always pick the person who wants it more to get the job just simply because it meant they would be more enthusiastic. They'd pick, likely pick things up faster and they'd work harder to keep it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, one of the things that, so in, in I'm a business coach and so I work with all business owners oh, and then okay, I have, great. I have my own businesses too. And one of the things that I have seen is such a shift in candidates and I'm curious to see what you see from your side as far as the people that you're working with, because, you know, before COVID, if I put out an ad, a job ad for a salesperson, a VA, a whatever that I was looking for in my business, I would routinely get 40, 50, 60 resumes, like very quickly, mm-hmm. lots of rev- resumes, huge candidate pool. I, I would say it was probably harder digging through all these resumes to find the person that I wanted. Now, the last position that I hired for was a sales position. I want to say I put it out there and I probably got, you know, eight resumes, like just so many fewer candidates that it seemed to be out in the pool. And with my business coaching clients, I hear this too, where so many of them, I have a manufacturing company right now that has been trying to hire people for the last two years and literally cannot find any candidates. And so I would just love to hear from your side, like one, any thoughts on what happened? Like where did everybody go? (laughs) Like, um, they must still be here somewhere. And have you yeah. seen have you seen a dip in the 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 availability of qualified candidates? And I just love to hear your thoughts on that. You know, I have heard that, and obviously, I work for people come to me because they want new jobs. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm not as familiar with the reasons why. I can. It's astounding to me the statistics, and there's been some good new ones from the National Labor Board, from the Pew Foundation, from Gallup and from Microsoft about what is going on, not necessarily about the reduction in overall candidates, but the reasons behind what's going on as a result of COVID. And the statistics are that we're not out of this situation where people are leaving their jobs without another one, which says to me that they're not going to be quick to jump back into the pool. My guess is that people are very shell-shocked and really feel bad. And what I've seen happen is a couple of things. The first is that, I'm going to start out with a very big picture. Since I joined the workforce, and again, I just turned 60, so I am old, but since I joined the workforce and technology, the 
rapid change in technology has changed just about everything we do in business, right? So there's been the way we communicate, the way we produce, the way we distribute, the way we manufacture, the way we interact with each other. Everything has changed about the workforce. And for the last 30, 40 years, everything that we as managers have done has been focused on just keeping our head above water and trying to stay away from being distinct. If you look at the list of publications of leadership books coming out of places like Harvard Business School Press, et cetera, everything is leadership, 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 nothing about management. And management has become kind of a a token little, it wasn't that cute when we were focused on managing. And what I've seen happen with the people that I work with is that so many, I mean, I have anecdotal evidence, but it's almost 100% of the clients that I've worked with have said, you know, I am so burnt out because when one or two of the, either my colleagues, my peers, my boss, or someone who works for me has left, they haven't been replaced. And I take on their role. I do not get a title adjustment. I do not get a salary bump. I get take on the role of another FTE and I'm expected to appreciate it and not say anything. And those are the people that are leaving. And I think those are the people, when you say, where are those people ha- have gone? They're the people that are just fed up and burnt out. And frankly, as you know, if I was running a company or I was a consultant to that company, I would say, sure, let's try it. Let's try to get by with as few people as we can and see how far mm-hmm. we can get. Well, we've reached the point of inflection. And those people who come in and I say to them, you know, well, did you have a job description? Did you have a job description for the job that you wanted that was far above you? Nope. Did you know what the pay scale was for the next job in line? Nope. Did you speak to your manager regularly? You know, one of the most stunning numbers that I've seen came out of the Microsoft study that said, I think 80% of their managers were unsure of how productive, they were concerned about how productive their employees were being at home doing remote work. And what was astounding to me that didn't get mentioned as in the analysis of those studies was now 87% of managers don't know how productive their employees are being. They're not checking in with them. They don't know what's going on. Like that's just a, an example of how incredibly detached workforces and managers are. So from what I see, what, what the numbers keep going, saying again and again and again, our employees um, are quitting because lack of pay, lack of feeling valued, uh, commensurate with pay, and feeling disrespected, and lack of opportunities. So those two things, lack of opportunity, low pay for what they're doing, feeling disrespected by their companies. And all three of those things are management issues. Mm -hmm. So if there are fewer people who are looking to get back into the workforce, it's because they're afraid of those things. So as potential employers, I think there's there's two things that certainly uh, that can be done. First of all, to be able to advertise your jobs as being value for Mm -hmm. the work that you're doing. So to be that you're going to have opportunity for advancement, that you're going to be considered a culture where you're valued. And I'll talk about ways that you can do that in a second, and that you're going to have opportunities for advancement. Now, all of those things are fairly simple things to do. And I'm not, when I talk about culture and feeling respected as opposed to disrespected, I was on a panel of human resources people recently, and 
someone said, well, for, to make our people feel like they're in a good culture, we send them snack boxes. And I was like, oh my God, <laughs> that's not how you build a culture. And everyone else in the panel was like, where do I get them? And and I thought, you know, what the way you build a culture is to, to promote people from within. You yeah. get some statistics going. You say, you know, I tell my clients, one of the questions they want to ask is, what is the person who last held this job doing now? Mm-hmm. How many people who have had this role have stayed in the company? The kind of culture you want to create isn't a false culture where you have Zoom beers at five o'clock. It's the kind of culture that you and hope and small business owners are probably the best at doing this than anybody. So I hope your listeners are hearing this and go, oh, I can advertise that. Mm-hmm. You know, about the company descriptions can say, this is a company where, you know, the average tenure is six or seven years, the average, you know, uh, people stay, don't leave, they get promoted up, etc. So that's the kind of culture that people are looking for, where they feel respected, where they have an opportunity to move up. Some simple housekeeping, like having job descriptions, where people understand what they're doing now, what they need to do to get to the next level, making sure that that can happen for them. That's really housekeeping, that's staying on top of what you're doing and what you're building in your company. And it doesn't just allow the, the employee some benefit, it allows you some benefit because you do. then you're doing succession planning, then you're building for the future, then you're doing the kinds of things that you need to do to make sure that you're building the kind of organization that you want that's in a structured way and not a haphazard way. So that's an opportunity to just do some basic stuff. In the last 20 years, 20, 30 years, everyone's been running around like a chicken with their head cut off. Nobody's had enough time to do any of these things. Your listeners might be going, oh my God, yeah, that and I'll build a rocket to the moon when I have some time. But there are ways to do this as simply as possible, even if you know you think of the bare minimum and get, get it into the file somehow and let people write their own job descriptions. Let people you know talk to each other. I mean, you write people write their own reviews, right? So let mm-hmm. some a boss and a colleague talk together. Like, what do you do that I don't do? How do I, what do I need to get? And then talk to people about, you know, are there classes? There's so many online classes. If you need to understand SQL to get to the next level or to get more pay, talk about getting a SQL class. Um, maybe the company can pay for it. Talk, maybe there's one that's free. Those are the kinds of things that you can build in or allow your employees to build it in. And that's what retains people. So those three things, lock of opportunities for advancement, those are things that you can even get straightened out within the workforce you have now. Low pay, those are the kinds of things you can advertise for, or you can do a market benchmark study or talk to people about it. There may not be anything you can do about it, but you can Mm -hmm. push the other two levers. And then feeling disrespected. That's something that you can do as simple as a communication plan where you're asking your managers to check in with people maybe every other week. It can be as little as two, five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, and it can be three questions. It can say, how are you feeling about what you're doing? Do you need additional tools? You feel like to grow and to get to the next level? And what can I tell you about what's going on? You know, you're an important member of the team. Here's what I can share with you. What else would you like to know? Or what else can I, you know, can I share with you about something that's going on in another part of the division? You know, what else would you like to do? That's free. You do probably are going to need to build it into your manager's incentive plan. That's the only way to make sure that it happens and to keep them from grumbling. But it's in your toolbox. So you may as well use it. And that's how you can keep people. And that's how you can keep people for free. 
yeah, those are some simple tools you can put in place to keep people. And think about using those same think tools when you're advertising for people, a culture that promotes from within, that builds their people, and also communicates with them and respects them by that communication. Communication is really the best form of respect. I care about you enough, regardless of your position, to tell you what is going on, where we're investing, where we're building, what we're going to do to invest in you or not, depending on what you want to do in terms of where the company's going and where do you want to go. I love this so much because even as an employer, when you find that the candidate pool seems to be shrinking, um, knowing what you can do to keep the good people that you have right now and really develop them like that is so very, very helpful. Um, It's even got me thinking about, oh, gosh, my team is just like, oh, maybe I need (laughs) to like shift a few little things there because I do want to make sure that I continue to develop the people that I have and promote from within. So that is so very helpful. In the candidates that you work with, so, you know, a small business owner cannot always compete on price. You know, they can't Mm -hmm. always, you know, pay the most, maybe like a small business owner compared to a larger corporation. Um, They may not be able to always like, you know, just compete based on salary. And so if you're a small business owner and you're kind of in that position, what are some things that you're seeing with the candidates that you work with? You know, are they all just money driven? I kind of doubt that, but are they all just like money driven and highest bidder wins? Or are there really other areas that they're looking at that are of value to them that are not financial based? Gallup actually says uh, the Gallup statistic results are that pay is equal to feeling respected and feeling valued by a corporation. And I think the the larger statistics are that it is not pay that drives people in an organization. Now, millennials are a little different than that. I wish I had the exact statistics at my fingertips, but if you wanted to, if somebody wanted to look it up and there's psychological studies about what drives people, it is not the pay that keeps them in a company. It is feeling validated, valued, Because, I mean, we all know people have been paid a lot and just left because they couldn't take it anymore, right? Mm -hmm. I had a friend who doesn't really, she was number, I think she was the 30th person hired at Amazon directly by Jeff Bezos. And she left before her stock options matured and she would be quite worth quite a lot today, but she does not regret it. She really did not like working for him. At any rate, there are, there's definitely research that statistics say it's not just money. With the exception of millennials, who I think skew a little bit more towards money, I believe the statistics say that feeling valued, validated, and respected are as big a driver as money for just about everybody. So investing in, I guess, advertising for new candidates would be difficult to get that across without it sounding kind of cheesy, unless you had the numbers that you know we believe in promoting from within when you join our company we expect you to join at this level, but to be a part of us when you're at that level, something, you know, words to that effect. You are probably, if you have any statistics around what you have done for other people, keep those, put it in business. If you put it in harder terms, if you're a client relationship building business, you know, we, we, we need people to be uh, work with our clients for many years. That's how we develop long-term profits. So we're looking for people who are looking to stay with us for a long time anything about the way you value your employees. There are specific benefits packages that will give you paternity leave um, packages. I don't know how expensive those are. I know there are specific 
targeted packages that can be purchased that can set you apart from other employers. I should learn more about this, but I know that if you were to Google specific targeted packages, maybe for the demographic that you're looking to hire, that could be a specific, really good way to set yourself apart and to put those into your packages. Mm -hmm. Offering managerial um, coursework, you know, even at the level of Walmart, I know, is doing online courses for a lot of their workers. So they're they're workers that are doing um, inventory, trucking, that kind of thing. They're Mm -hmm. doing English language programs, all sorts of integration into higher more to get them into higher more skilled laborers and not turn them over so quickly because their studies say that's what they wanted the cost of losing an employee is at any level I think it's between two yeah. and a half and four times their salary so yeah. they're paying for an outside vendor to come in and do that but you could put in place I'm sure it would be cheaper to put be put in place some kind of benefit or education package yeah, which caters to that, which would be able to, to keep people. In terms of attracting people, what I always tell clients is to look for postings on association, industry association, job boards, to go to alumni networks. Um, mm-hmm. Your database password and username for alumni is a very important part of job searching. I also tell people to follow blogs on LinkedIn by thought leaders to look for jobs that may not be posted yet or to look for people that they really admire. That way they both have the education to drop something that might be new and exciting into an interview. And they also may be able to reach out to that person and say, hey, if you know of any jobs. So those are all things I would encourage employers to do. Post their jobs in smaller pools where they'll get better qualified candidates, respond to alumni, LinkedIn, you post their jobs on Handshake, which is what most colleges use these days. And also put on your LinkedIn, put on your social, we're hiring. Mm-hmm. Be somebody between hires who publishes about what it is that you do, publish about what your company does for its employees. I also tell everybody to, to follow any company on social media that they may be interested in working for. So putting the out that you are investing in your employees with any kind of program is likely to help up your application pool once it, they do a Google search and look at those past posts or are following you anyway. I love all these ideas. So great. Honestly, I'd not heard of Handshake. So that's a great one. And you said oh, the colleges, yeah. the colleges are using yeah. this. Okay. Yes. Almost every college uses Handshake as an internal job board. Oh, interesting. Okay. That's a very, very good tip. I'm going to I'm gonna put that one in my toolbox and use it with my good. clients when they go, hey, where do I find people? Um, great. Y- you know, I would say probably one of the biggest complaints I hear from my clients is that millennials, and you work with a lot of millennials and help them find jobs, is that millennials just don't have the work ethic. And so I would love to hear your thoughts on this. Like, is this a load of crap or is this really true? You work with a lot of millennials. Do you see that they have, you know, a good work ethic or is it a different work ethic? Like, what do you see? Because this is something I hear of like, you know, you know, the, let's call it, you know, 40 to 55 age range, Um, A lot of us grew up just working our butts into the ground. And so we probably do have a slightly different work ethic. I know I look at my children who are 23 and 20 and even their work ethic, my son and my daughter is very different between the two of them. So I'm just curious, like, what do you see in working with so many of these millennials as far as their work ethic? So millennials are now like in their 30s. And the Gen Zs are the the newest ones coming up. Mm -hmm. I've written on this. The 
main difference to understand, uh, of course, I hate the sweeping generalization of any kind, Mm -hmm. but I do understand what people are saying when they, when they say that. And certainly I have clients that are, can be on that, on that spectrum. The main difference I find is when we grew up, we uh, were kind of sent off on our own to go on our bikes. We were, you know, went out on our bikes and we're told, see you at dinner, right? So we sort Mm -hmm. of make our own fun, Mm -hmm. figure out what we were going to do for the day. You know, here's a lunch and go out, you know, go out with your friends, see what you're going to do. Get out of the house, go Um, play. I'll see you tonight. Like, yeah. Right. right. (laughs) Go entertain yourself. There's no video games. You're not sitting in front of a computer, a a TV, a screen all day. No screen. Yeah. Right. Use your imagination. Get out of my sight. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. This generation has been scripted since day one. Here's your piano lesson. Here's your Mm. computer lesson. Here's this lesson. Here's your hour of time with your friends. Um, and here's your downtime, that 45 minutes of downtime before your homework starts. What happens in an office setting is that the manager was at worst will be sitting there saying, when is that kid going to do something? And the new um, employee is sitting in their cube saying, when am I going to be given something to do? So that can be a big disconnect that is really, I think, and I've done corporate sessions on this where we can be responsible for saying, look, this is what we need you to do. And this is the time you have to do it. And when you're done with this, ask for something else or, you know, look for what else you need to do. And it's been especially deadly for consulting firms where you kind of have to feed your own hopper or salespeople where, you know, you need to go out on your own and you decide whether you're driving left or right on out of the driveway and fill up your own thing. So that can be the real disconnect. And there are certainly ways to get around it. And the biggest danger for millennials I found or managing anybody really is what I call the, and and this is to do with the lack of management being valued, the path of management by path of least resistance. And this is when um, someone will go to their manager and give over a piece of work and say, you know, here it is, I'm all done. And the manager will find one or two mistakes, but won't take the time to go tell their new employee Mm -hmm. Or explain why it's wrong, and they'll just say, "Oh, thanks, it's great, thanks very much." And the kid thinks they're doing a great job, and the manager's like, "Hmm, on a couple of mistakes, and this happens three or four more times." And the kid's just chugging along, "Oh, I'm doing great." And the manager is keeping track of these mistakes, and it comes time for a review, and the manager's like, "Well, you're not really doing that great." And the kid's like, "What? I had no idea." So that's another thing that I really advise people to, both managers and employees to not fall into management by least resistance because for the employers, the managers, they're really wasting valuable talent and assets by not telling, taking the time to explain and train. And it's a lot of wasted, they're wasting time, they're not saving time. And for the kids to really be aggressive on their own and to be their own career advocates and say, are you sure that's right? Is there anything I can do better next time? And usually kids are sort of afraid of feedback, um, which is a classic, and the managers probably are too, so they don't want to give it. So that's another whole session I do about using language. It's not that everybody understands. It's like, this is normal. This is training. This is, you know, what we need to do. But that's a huge, huge problem and a huge loss of value that happens time and time again with the Mm -hmm. two different age groups. 
Oh my goodness. So helpful. I know that there's so many business owners right now just listening to this and just getting so many great, valuable pieces of information. Even right. I'm um, so just glad. listening to you, Amy, I'm just like, oh, right. So when I gave that project to the new intern and I said, go figure it out, that probably wasn't the best best idea. Um, Because you're right, because so much of their lives have been scripted where we had to just figure it out. And that seems to kind of come a little bit more natural for us. So yeah, um, I I think that's great, great, helpful insight to help us just manage our people better and keep our people and develop them, especially since it it can be really difficult to find good people these days. So I love that. And that's part of the communications every other week where, you know, even if it's 15 minutes, just like this is something that I saw that you could be working on to do a better job in what you're doing. Yeah. Oh, love it so much. Amy, I'm sure there's people who are listening right now who are like, hey, how do I find out more about her? So why don't you just share a little bit about where can people find you online? Sure. I'm at jobcoachamy.com. I am on both meta platforms, Instagram and Facebook at Job Coach Amy. I have a TikTok account, Job Coach Amy underscore. And I think as far as am I miss, oh, and Twitter, uh, Job Coach Amy F at Job Coach Amy F. Awesome. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you so much, you guys. I know you, there were so many great value points today that you shared with us. I really appreciate you being here with me today. Oh, it was so fun. Thank you so much, Jennifer. All right. You're welcome. All right, you guys. So many great information. Go check out Amy if you want to find out more information about her. If you need more information on some business coaching, you can always go check us out at jenniferjohncoaching.com. So that's it for today's show. Get out there and have a happy, productive day, y'all. I hope you found today's episode of the Happy Productive Podcast inspiring. Every successful business is formed by a set of small, consistent, and attainable steps. If you want to learn more, come visit us at jenniferdawncoaching.com to take your next step and learn how to meet your business goals. On our website, you're going to find free resources along with links to the life-changing coaching programs that have transformed the lives of so many of our clients, including the Coaching Academy and our Unbreakable Retreats. Many of them started their journey by listening to this podcast. That's it. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for our next episode. This is the She Leads Podcast Network.